Welcome back to What We Don't Know. I'm your host, Xander Schultz. I'm here with my producer, Phineas. What's going on, Phineas? How are you, Xander? Excited about this week's episode. Uh, in this week's episode, we are talking to Liz Alarcon. She started Project Pulso, which is a news outlet, per se. It's a, it's a neo-news outlet that uses Facebook Messenger to distribute the news. It also serves this double purpose of organizing Latinx population in America, uh, politically organizing them. So last week, I remember, I remember I asked the question of whether or not you consider yourself to be an activist, and you used the term digital activist. Right. Is Liz a perfect example of what a digital activist is? Liz is a real deal digital activist. Yeah, I think, I think, I think if anything, I'm still in support of like a real deal digital activist like Liz. So she's really on the ground using social media primarily to create a coalition to move a specific vote or affect specific change. Is that the way to think about it? Yeah, I think she what a lot of organizations are starting to figure out is like how to really do what's called relational organizing, but as a brand. And so there's an organization called Push Black that does this for black Americans, and has been really successful. And off of their success, these funders were looking to create something similar for the Latinx community. And so they reached out to Liz, who, who became the CEO. This is her ver first venture doing this. What we're understanding is, and, and you see, this is the reason your text messages are getting blown up too, is text and messenger are such better mediums to, for open rates, to get you to engage, to get you to forward something to someone else than you know, going to a static web page or, or something that's less dynamic or even social in a lot of ways. So can you speak quickly to, like, I think a lot of people think that Democrats or progressives are not necessarily the most effective at getting out the vote or rallying their base. But I do, I hear, I'm starting to hear all these stories about all these incredible organizers right. and using digital media as a means to get out the vote and create these incredibly powerful and meaningful coalitions. Would you say that this is a new phenomena on some level that they are really leaning into social media? I remember Obama made it really popular yeah. in 2008 when he won. How have you seen that change over the last several years? Well, we, we definitely got our ass kicked in 2016 on social, which is so surprising, right? When you think about who lives on social, you've got mainly progressives running the tech companies. You've got mainly progressives as the influencers, right? This coastal, whether it's the Hollywood type or just a social media influencer. And so it, it can be hard to understand how we're getting our ass kicked so badly on social or got our ass kicked so badly over there. Um, but to your point, to your question about, are we getting better at using social media? Have we taken back some of that real estate? No doubt. That was a that was a wake up moment. 2016 was a wake up moment. There's been a lot of investment, not just in community organizers, which we've talked so much about in this program and became much more supported over the last election cycle, but also digital organizers, everyone from very niche organizers like Pulso, like Push Black, to organizations like Acronym. We'll have Tara McGowan on this podcast at one point, started Acronym uh, in the wake of the Cambridge Analytica disaster. Yeah, I, I'm seeing that it's younger people that are tech savvy or savvy with social media actually creating organizations that rally a base of people that they understand yes and may not be well understood nationally basically like people are used to now being spoken to directly but our political playbook was still like these broad you know tv ads etc and so now we're understanding and this this has probably always been true but we're understanding it better 
uh, and in this era, it's more necessary that you need to really speak to someone directly if you're going to catalyze them to action in some capacity. You, it can't just be broad. It can't just be this broad ideology about ethics or morality or whatnot. And so that's the infrastructure that's starting to get stood up around the country. Amazing. I'm excited. All right. Well, I, I don't want to spoil too much of the podcast. She gets into all of this. Uh, and she's also an amazing personality. She comes from media. Uh, she's super well-spoken, super savvy. She's only... I think she's 30, 30 or 31. It's her first, it's her first venture. And it's really incredible how she's carried herself. And I think it's an example of the type of people you get when they're really mission focused, right? It's not, she, I don't think she's, or at least she doesn't come across like overwhelmed by how big this thing has become, despite it being her first rodeo. Cause I really think she cares about the outcomes and not like her standing within it. I know when I was a startup kid, a lot of my anxiety was like imposter syndrome and, you know, am, am I going to be portrayed the right way? Am I messing up or whatever? And I think, you know, because she's so about this mission, she's been able to be really, really effective by having that clarity. Yeah. I mean, one really quick final thought. It's interesting how you speak about her as uh, almost like a startup founder, right? Totally. And so there's like this blend of activism and startup really these new ventures, these new organizers, these new organizations are startups and she's scaling it like you would scale any other business. Definitely. And with like a hand tied around behind her back too. It's like, you have to create a media company and we know how hard that is. How do, how do you create media that people engage with? You have to create a media company. And by the way, the media company also has to be able to organize people politically. She's an incredible entrepreneur. Like imagine if, she, you know, she didn't have that second lace. Like you can create any media company, you know, and it's, and it's uh, and it's fine. So yeah, they're they're definitely, especially when it comes to Project Pulso, it definitely, it's it's a true venture. It's a nonprofit, but it's a, it's a real startup. Yeah, absolutely, awesome. All right, brother, let's get into it. Liz Alarcone, welcome to What We Don't Know. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. To kick things off, I'd love to hear, I love origin stories. Uh, so I'd love to hear the origin story of your uh, organization, which you founded, uh, Project Pulso. Yeah, so I think to take you to the real origin, where do I start? I was born You can take it back as far as you want. <laughs> 1989, no. Um, you know, I, I come from a family of journalists. And I've always had a passion for politics as well. And so growing up, it was media or politics. I went down the foreign policy route. I studied Latin American studies and thought I was going to become a diplomat at some point. And that media essence of how I grew up led me to uh, become a journalist and work in the newsroom. And then 2016 happened. And both of these passions uh, it feels like that statement, present. by the way, is just, that's like going to be a, there's going to be, and then 2020 happened and then 2016 happened for the rest of our lives. It feels like. For the rest <laughs> of our lives, Xander. And it's really true for me. It was, how do I connect my love of politics and of civic engagement with the media part of this without doing it in a separated um, space that traditional journalism has to uphold, which is that objectivity and that um, idea to inform in an 
impartial way? How can I do a bit more? How can I connect media and advocacy uh, and civic engagement to build independent political power for Latinos? Right. I did not know that Pulso would be the answer to that, but I found Accelerate Change, a media lab that incubates nonprofit media organizations that serve underrepresented communities and they were looking to reach their next frontier, which was reach the Latino, Latinx, Hispanic community after the success of Push Black, which was the first venture that they successfully incubated along with Parents Together and several others. And they were looking for an entrepreneur in residence to start this thing that had no name, but that we knew had to address the fact that at that point in 2017 was not reaching the more than 30 million Latinos. And so I joined. Right, we're not talking about an insignificant population here in the States. Exactly, exactly. And that's, by the way, the voting populations and are not the total number of Latinos, which right. to date is more than 60 million. What, what is, is that 18% of the country? Where are we at? 320 yeah, million, something around exactly, there? Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. And we're, as we, as we saw in this election cycle, we were a deciding demographic. Um, we, we've been called the sleeping giant. We've been called all sorts of names that don't, give service or honor not only our potential, but our contributions. Yep. And that's where Pulso was born. And now we're three years in. So getting into like what Pulso actually is uh, for folks not familiar with Push Black as well. Julian's a friend as well. They do amazing work. You used it as a comp, but for folks that aren't in the know, what, what is Pulso? Yeah. So we are a digital media nonprofit that reaches Latinos across the United States where we're spending most of our time, Zander, on our phones. And so we primarily are sending news, history, and culture content for our community in Facebook Messenger, on Instagram, and our newest edition, which is the Pulso Podcast, with the goal of engaging our community with stories by us and for us, but with the ultimate mission of building independent political power with not only that content, but with that digital organizing arm that we've now been able to successfully put to work in 2018 and also in the 2020 election cycle. But that's not, the political power thing is not what you hit people over the head with. In terms of like when an average person is engaging with Pulse, so it's really kind of from a news information from the culture by the culture angle, correct? That's right. And we did so much testing. We are we are a startup. And so we follow for those who are not familiar. This will be some insider jargon, which is lean methodologies. And just really what that means is a conviction that optimizing and learning rapidly from what our audience is telling us is what guides us moving forward. So we're always thinking about what do our folks want to consume, where do they want to consume it, how often, and we're asking those questions. And that's how we arrived at the culture history news beat, if you will, It's because that's what people wanted to, to consume. And so we really are trying to build deep digital relationships with people first. From those relationships, like in life, the rest happens. Right. And that... That, that news arrives via not like a Facebook feed. It's typically Messenger, right? It's delivered via their Messenger app. That's right. That's the main place where we're sending our content. And so if you all can envision with us here for a second, if you go into your phone and you see that blue Messenger app, instead of uh, texting your friend John through that space or searching for his name at the top, you would search Project Pulso. And then you would start to get our content. You would subscribe through our Get Started button. And through that, you would not only receive our news, culture, and history, but you would be able to share it with your friends. And how many people, how many people are receiving this news right now? How, how, many, how much of that 60 million or 30 million voters 
are now engaging with Project Pulsar? So to date, we have more than 2 million subscribers in our English and Spanish language channels. So Pulso is sending content in English and Noticias para Inmigrantes, which means uh, news for immigrants in Spanish, is also doing that, which is uh, super exciting that we're able to reach both English and Spanish language audiences primarily in Messenger so they can share with their friends. I want to applaud uh, your entrepreneurial abilities because like there's a lot of folks who just struggle to create any company with any traction with no core mission to it. It's like, can I create, like even using the lean methodology you, you talked about, you know, where, where can I find, how can I create content that people want to do so and have this like second step behind it that you're also successfully executing on is uh, really speaks to, you know, what you all have pulled off over there. I want to get back to um, Project Pulso and you all actually doing the organizing. So you've got 2 million people that are getting these messages on their phone, which is a wild number. So now I'm on Pulso, I'm a user, and 2020 is coming around. How is Pulso engaging with people? What does that look like? How, how are you measuring success there? How are you talking to folks? Give me, give me an idea of what the kind of second step of this. First step, build a product people love. Second step, organize them or help them, <laughs> help them uh, get politically engaged through it. Yeah, so once you're a Pulso subscriber, especially in this GOTV, which is a get out the vote season, that was much of what we were focused on in the summer and the fall, you were going to get prompts from us in every which way to register to vote. That was the first frontier. And so if you came in from an ad, you were going to consume our story, you were a subscriber in Pulso, Pulso would then prompt you to make sure that you were registered, share with your friends that you were registered to vote, triple make sure that you had everything ready on your state's site, right? Like we would accompany you on that path to first make sure that you were going to be able to vote. And we did this with messages and messenger. We did it with reminders on Instagram. We had a PSA of sorts on our podcast. So at some point in your interaction with us, after you're consuming that news culture history content, we were going to ask you if you were registered to vote and help you do it if you were not yet registered. Right. Again, right on your phone where you're spending your time. The same for vote by mail requests. We partnered with Civitech to do this push as well to make sure that people could request a ballot at home. We called it voting from home, which is also important. We tested messaging on all of these different actions as well. Lots of testing to make sure that we were actually asking you the question in a way you wanted to be asked. And then we did that as well. And so that then primed our subscribers to say, oh, this is actually a place where I'm gonna get reliable information. I'm gonna find out how to be able to make my voice be counted. And then we would create content that would help people through the process as well. There was so much information around, can, will my vote count? Is it okay to vote by mail? And we know how to express that without amplifying the conspiracy, which is also important, right? Like when you would go to Bursa, we wouldn't say, it is not fraudulent to vote by mail. No, because then you're amplifying <laughs> an erroneous message. It's it's rather like voting by mail is safe and this is how. And all Progressive of that- media does such a bad job. <laughs> it does such, I think it's cause because we like to dunk on the opposition yes. and like, it just feels so good. So we're like, you sit right here. I'll be back with the ball. <laughs> like, I've just want to dunk on you. It feels fantastic. <laughs> if I had a dime, Xander, for every single time, a little piece of me inside dies when I see a brilliant progressive colleague quote tweet Trump on Twitter, yeah. I would be a gajillionaire because that is exactly the opposite of what we need to be doing. So exactly. And, and just to, to end on the journey of, of voter participation, which is the get out the vote, 
we know because of copious studies of people who have researched how to best get people out to the polls or to really take any action, it's with your friends and family. And so what we call our GOTV friend to friend strategy is really you sharing with your friends that you're voting, mm -hmm. you sharing with your friends that you're participating. So that Xander sends his 10 best buddies and it's not Pulso sending it, but rather Pulso empowering you to share with your people because you're a better messenger than we are because mm -hmm. you know your friends and you're uh, a, a vote of confidence for them to get them out to vote. So you're using the forward feature in Messenger then? You're just, you're right. just activating people around that. So there's a lot of, and this is proven to be the best investment in politics is relational organizing. And so so th there's there's this direct action that you're instigating or catalyzing, which is, hey, you've been, you've been consuming our news. You're going to go get registered. You're going to figure out how to vote from home. But then there's this like second butterfly effect of you all having your users organize their their, their own communities, correct? Exactly, Xander. And when you send a message to your friends that you're voting, it's going to say, hey, I'm voting tomorrow. Are you going to join me? It's going to have your profile picture. Mm. You're going to be able to put a frame on your profile to share that you're participating. On Instagram, we had filters where you could put voting stickers all over your face and get your friends to try it. And we also ask people to plan their vote because we know that vote planning it increases propensity for people to participate. So when we asked you if you were voting, it wasn't just, hey, Xander, are you voting? No, no. Do you have a plan? Have you voted yet? Can you commit to vote? So after yeah, you- when are you heading in? Exactly. After you're like, okay, these people clearly are trying to get me to think about this and make a plan. Yeah. Then you share with your friends and empower them to do the exact same thing. And here we are. We were able to uh, impact more than 50,000 marginal votes, as we call it in our wonky space, uh, which is really 50,000 people who would not have participated were it not for our impact and our push. That's a, especially um, you look at Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, like 50,000 voters who aren't going to vote is the type of stuff that won this election. It was the type of relational organizing that won this election. Exactly. Before I move on to kind of broader topics, are there other other metrics that uh, came out of this this whole experience that you're really proud of? Yeah, you know, I think the amount of voting messages overall that people received and that they were able to share um, were in the millions after our push overall across platforms under and really being able to have our subscribers and our audience be empowered to share that they're voting, get excited about voting. You know, we joked a little bit earlier about 80 million, but really to have seen that this election was the one with the highest voter turnout in history shows that people like the Latino community were not turning out before and made the difference and felt empowered to participate however they decided to participate. Mm -hmm. They were voting in in droves and it's because we ourselves were seeing the power that we have to change the outcome or to reinforce an outcome in the case of the races and spaces where people kept those in power that were in power. That was also thanks to their votes. And I think that's the bigger story, right? That we were the deciding demographic, Latinos were the deciding demographic in all of the battleground states that you just mentioned. We turned out more than ever. And that is because we realized the power of our vote and the power of our numbers. And, and thankfully, Pulso was able to contribute to millions of, of messages to share that empowerment. I imagine one of the sweetest victories had to be Arizona, where like the tide really started to turn when they tried to put that law in place where they could check uh, folks' IDs just because they were Hispanic uh, as a means of trying to figure out who was an illegal and legal immigrant and, and probably more pragmatically just harass Hispanic people so <laughs> there's less of them is, is, is probably the, 
the inside the room conversations that were being had that backfired so spectacularly, the amount of organizing that happened on the backs of that to now turn into having a blue state uh, in the presidential election, a blue senator, Joe Arpaio's ass being kicked to the curb. Like so many things happened over there. I just wonder if you had, if Arizona is especially sweet for you, I imagine it would be. Oh my gosh. I have goosebumps as you're sharing that because it's a, <laughs> it's a victory 10 years in the making, Xander, and Pulso having approaching our three-year birthday soon sits on the shoulders of giants that have been doing this work for way longer. We're just proud to have been able to assist on the digital fight, but folks like uh, Lucha and Chispa and Mi Familia mm -hmm. Vota and Voto Latino and Mi Gente and so many other groups that have really entrenched relationships and local groups that I'm probably not mentioning are the real heroes of this story. And it shows what knowing your community what being in constant communication and organizing always mm -hmm. does to, to a state that would have been unthinkably blue just a cycle ago. So I call this show What We Don't Know because it's a question I'd love to ask uh, because there's folks that are so deep in this work and things seem obvious to, or seem, seem like they should be obvious to the average everyday person. But you're like, man, this is still like conceptually not fully understood. I imagine you learned so much during this last sprint that you were just in. What do people not know about the American Latinx population and the Latinx vote? Oh, how much more time do you have, Xander? No, we really. Got time. We're good. Look, we are a diverse, multi-ethnic multiracial, multidimensional, colorful, complex community. And all of those nuances need to be allowed to exist and need to be explained when we talk about Latinos. Latinos in Florida or Miami, where I'm from, are very different than Latinos in New York or different than the Latino community in LA. We come from different countries. We come from different experiences. Some of us were in this country before this country was founded and the border crossed over us. And some of us, like my family, emigrated from Venezuela in the late 1980s to pursue higher education and other folks just arrived and other folks are second generation. That, that is the story of our community. And some of us like the word Latinx and some of us like the word Latino and some of us like the word Hispanic and some of us like a completely different term to describe us. And right. that is our story. And the more that people try to assume that there is one Latinx anything or Latino anything, whether it's vote or uh, issues that interest us or affiliation to a political party um, or any sort of blanket statement about more than 60 million people, we don't do that with other communities. There's no reason to do it with ours. I think there is a natural aversion. I think most groups will complain about people homogenizing them, but it feels especially true with, with the Latinx population, just because of it, even if take away everything else, the different types of governments people were coming from before they came to America, whether it's stability, instability, socialism, authoritarianism, um, you know, uh, all of those things create such different experiences in terms of like how you're now going to be, have a relationship with your, your new, new government, whatever new, as in like, whatever, how many ever generations since that move. Exactly. No. And, and to your point too, the people who the border moved on them. Like that is a significant portion of the Latino population, especially in, in the West part of the United States, that they, they were here before the United States of America as we know it. And those folks uh, are often still treated as if they are visitors on their own land. And that is the 
the complexity and the beauty of our community. And we are more powerful in numbers. And I still think that we have more alike than we have um, that differentiates us. And there is beauty and power in celebrating our differences as we still share values and language and uh, cultural affinity within all of the countries, the 20 countries that make up Latin America, Central America, and the Caribbean. Speaking of that diversity, post-election, Venezuelans and Cubans in Florida specifically are, are receiving a lot of blame uh, or, or disappointment or whatever you call it, right, uh, for the percentage of the population that voted for Trump. You don't strike me as a Trump voter, but I wonder, one, what's your take on that take? And two, if you were to advise Democrats running for office to speak to those populations uh, in ways that resonate with them or are able to uh, address some of the concerns that are there, what would you advise? Yeah. So as a Venezuelan, this hits close to home, Xander. This was a, it was a tough electoral cycle here in Florida. And what's most important to remind people of is we can't focus on marginalized communities first before we look at the main voting blocks and how they participated. So if you're going to talk about Florida, we're, let's we're talk excusing about the white vote. 60% of white votes. Right. Why, why aren't we why aren't we first talking yeah. about how the Democratic Party could not win back some of the folks who voted in larger numbers for the Republican candidate. Republicans turned out in, in greater numbers. Right. And and we're starting with with the with the marginal gains or losses with the Latino community. So that that to me is just always problematic because we're not going to play this game. We're not going to blame Latinos for a much broader issue across a much larger demographic. Now that being said, we have a reckoning in the Democratic Party uh, in Florida that I think is important for people to listen to and look at what happened. And everyone in Florida right now is, is asking themselves that as they are in other spaces where uh, we saw uh, a less large margin than what the Democrats would have wanted to see. And so what I would suggest and I think is imperative is for people to take seriously the threats to the info wars that are happening right now. Latinos were targeted with massive disinformation campaigns. My own family that has me as a <laughs> member of theirs, it was difficult yeah. for me to combat the misinformation and the disinformation and the propaganda that was really winning the battle. Um, so those threats were important and I don't think they were addressed on time and were combated with proper guidelines and messaging that would resonate on the platforms where people were getting disinformation. I think that's the first. Yeah. And the second is defining what we stand for. The claims that helped convince Latinos that the right path was one to reelect the president were people who were not hearing enough from the candidates that propose something different, what are you actually proposing? So it's not just about countering the, the narratives that are harmful and lies about where we fall on the ideological political spectrum, but what are you going to do for me? What are, what are, what does the party stand for? And what does the candidate stand for? There was not enough of defining what we're offering or mm -hmm. what the candidates were offering, um, which then left you with um, being defined based on what others are saying you are that actually happens to be untrue. So there was a, a messaging gap for sure, an organizing gap. I think we've all seen all the info of, of what was done on the ground to reach folks, especially in the last days. And I know COVID was tough. So I, I will leave it to others for the hot takes, which are right. uh, plenty. And I'm just building on some of what folks who have really been spending time thinking about this have 
identified as things that we need to really reckon with moving forward. A lot of people talk about uh, low propensity voters as underinvested in voters, uh, at least, especially organizers. It sounds like both that population was underinvested in as voters um, and misunderstood and also had a disproportionate investment on the other end of the spectrum, targeting them with, with uh, misinformation. And so that's a toxic cocktail. That's, that's not exactly. the way you want money flowing into any population where it's, where it's weighed more heavily in misinformation than it is actually like organizing and having community organizers from, from those communities talking to them. Exactly. I think that 2020, Xander, if it left us with anything, it is that time to pause and to be inspired by these moments that have become movements. And I hope that the record turnout in this election and uh, the eagerness that so many of us have to rebuild what comes next and stop the divisiveness and empower ourselves and our own communities will continue. I think long ago we stopped thinking, oh, this is the new normal. No, what, what are we building as this next phase for all of us, given this hand we were dealt in 2020? So I'm hopeful that these conversations will continue, that the work continues, and that we're inspired enough to see how much change we can create together. I love the moments becoming movements. That's great. That's fantastic. It's so true. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm not ready to write off this year. It's been it's been a pain in the ass, but you know, maybe history will say at the end of the day it was a good one. Everyone got politically engaged, everyone got active, and we started addressing some real fucking problems. All right. Well, I'm super appreciative of you, your role in the world, the way you're moving, everything you're doing. Thank you so much for jumping on and spending some time with me. Thank you so much, Sandra. It was a pleasure. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to What We Don't Know. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. You can also follow us on social. We're WWDKpod on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. All right, take care.